Okay, well, it has been a long time yep. since we've had Beyond Sunday. Kind of had to set some of it aside for a little bit, but uh, like Christian said, we were going to have a discussion on on what uh, Matthew five, specifically what he preached on in regards to divorce, and we were going to get the band back together. Mm-hmm. So I've got sitting next to me. He's uh, six foot four, two hundred and twenty pounds. Bing. Yeah, I don't know how much he weighs. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, <laughs> Spencer McCush. I haven't been six four or two twenty in a long, long okay, time. I don't know. I just said a number. <laughs> and then Christian Burkhart and I won't guess That's on weight. Right. Yeah, Spencer's over there, uh, and then uh, Christian Burkhart and I won't guess height or weight on him because uh, yeah, I missed it on Spencer, yeah. but. Yeah, just, you know, for Beyond Sunday, if maybe this is your first time listening to us, our whole heart is we do believe that God's Word is amazing, that it speaks into every facet of life, um, but it's not meant to be done, and it's not meant to be read and to be practiced alone. God gave us a local church to be a part of, and so the three of us are a part of this particular local church cornerstone. And so our discussions really do revolve around how do we take this these amazing truths of God's Word and kind of live it out. So all of us have been friends for years. And uh, so, yeah, we're excited today to talk about what Christian preached on. And and uh, so I'll, I'll let you, Christian, kind of launch us off and kind of maybe set the context uh, for not only maybe we're going today, but maybe in the coming podcasts. Yeah. Why, don't you, why don't you set a little context for us so we can have a discussion? Yeah, totally. So this is all coming out of the series that we're preaching through on Sundays right now through the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't know about all y'all that are listening, but it has been so encouraging and convicting and challenging to be going through this sermon. Um, the last time I remember teaching on this was with a group of like 10 to 12-year-old youth group kids. So that was where keep it simple, keep it simple, illustrate, illustrate. And doing this kind of much like deeper, more detailed dive has been so good. So first off, just thank you, Jesus, for these words, even where they rub us the wrong way. But where we're at here in chapter 5, we're talking through this this section where Jesus is talking about how he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, to to recover its intent, to recover the heart of God's law. And ultimately, like Todd uh, talked about a couple weeks ago, point us to that reality that 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 ultimately what God is seeking to do is is change our hearts, renew our hearts, and that especially comes uh, becomes comes to the forefront in what Jesus says about marriage and divorce. Yeah, well, ahead. I think I think even framing it not just in the Sermon on the Mount, but in the whole book series, mm-hmm. and I think the the language that's being used, I think, is great. It's that idea of discipling with Jesus or apprenticing with Jesus. Yeah, like the whole book of Matthew is. We have to remember, it's not someone who's detailing the chronology of Jesus's life. This is Matthew years later looking mm-hmm. back and going, oh, yeah, let me let me tell you what it looks like to actually be a disciple of Jesus. Yeah. Let me actually give you that instruction. And so it's not like as the page goes, we're unfolding the story. It's Matthew going, hey, here are the, here are the kind of the high points and the things that are probably pretty essential to live a life as an apprentice or as a follower of Jesus. Absolutely. So then if you then what you're saying is like, oh, now we're talking about some really specific things. I've gone, oh yeah. Okay, now we're talking about divorce. Yeah. Or now we're talking about anger or mm-hmm. all these things. But it's said in that broader context, which I think that's where I get excited because it's it's actually super practical. Yeah. And and it's and the the discipleship, apprenticing with Jesus always happens in real time, real places, right? And so even what we have here is Matthew's recollection of the way that Jesus talked about the life of the kingdom in contrast to like first century Jewish culture. And one of the things we're going to talk about as we, especially as we get into issues of divorce and remarriage is 
What are some of the distinctions between our cultural context and the cultural context that Jesus was in? But what are really those kind of timeless kingdom life principles that we want to draw from it? So when we looked at this one this past Sunday, we looked at what Jesus says uh, kind of Matthew 3, sorry, 5, 31 through 37 in regard to the Jewish, the rabbinic kind of traditional explanations of things like divorce and oaths. And the main point I tried to drive home in my message was just this call as followers of Jesus to to stand by our word, to 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 honor the commitments that we make, to not make them flightily or like offhanded, but like to speak with a sense of seriousness and commitment, to demonstrate the faithful character of God. If our God is a God who makes promises and keeps promises, let's seek to reflect his character, both in the 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 oath way that he talks about it, but then also in those vows that we make as husbands and wives in marriage. And in particular, he's he's going after, he's contradicting the the way that the Old Testament concept of, of a certificate of divorce had kind of gotten tweaked and distorted within the first century into where you had these two groups, one that had a much stricter view of divorce is only allowed if there's been adultery in a marriage, which even then was a little bit different because the Old Testament law called for an adulterer to be stoned. It actually called for like a death penalty in that situation. But then on the other hand, you had a much softer view, which basically, you know, the classic one is if you if she burns his dinner, he can send her away in divorce. And so we see that this is kind of the the, the, the spectrum, the breadth of the debate that Jesus uh, was going on during, during the first century when Jesus is there. And he says, okay, you're hearing all that going around, but I say to you that whoever divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Mm-hmm. And so what we're seeking to do is recognize, okay, how do we walk through this in greater detail than what I could do on a Sunday morning? Not in any way, avoiding that very thing that Jesus talked about. We do not want to relax what God's word says. We want to, as he says, both do and teach what God's word says, but seek to do it with a sense of care, consideration, and even nuance, knowing that there's some particular details in the text we need to be aware of, but then there's also specific details in people's lives uh, in, in these situations that we want to know how to care for, uh, yeah. to walk with care on. Relevancy for today? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'll no. tell you what, you know, even as we kind of, you know, as we, as we look at marriage today in the way God intended it, you mm-hmm. know, we'll, we'll dive into that so we can kind of set that reality because I think it's so important to this discussion. I would say none of us have left unscathed Mm-mm, from no. this issue of divorce, yeah, you know, and just the ramifications on life and family. And yeah, and I know that it's the way we framed it so far is in and around divorce, but I would say in order to understand it really, I mean, fully, and like you said, Todd, we're all, we're all affected by the, the reality of divorce. But I would also say, the flip side of that coin is to understand more greatly the sanctity of marriage yes. and how absolutely how big that concept is. And Bigger we thro- than we think we throw it around very loosely in our culture, the sanctity of marriage, and going, actually, guys, it's probably a lot bigger. And anything less than the sanctity of marriage is actually um, and I would say divorce is thrown into that mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Because it's a perversion of what was intended. Yeah, and that's one of the things we we want to do. Again, I, I mentioned on Sunday that this may be turned into a, a, a 
a couple or several podcasts, but in, I guess you could say the the three main topics that we want to address, however many conversations this becomes, is number one, what is that meaning, God's purpose in marriage? As one of those human institutions that we see in Genesis 2 before rebellion, before sin comes onto the scene, God has a purpose for marriage between a man and a woman, and we want to make sure we have we have as much clarity as possible on what is it that God designed marriage between a man and woman to do. So that's one, the meaning of marriage. Second, the realities of divorce. And then third, the the dynamics of remarriage after divorce. What does the Bible say about that? So again, we won't get to all of that in this one conversation, but those maybe give you three hooks to hang on the things that we want to go after together. All right. So that's what we're going to try to go. We're going to try to dive in and, and uh, not only talk about it, but I think I can't wait to even discuss how do you land this yeah. in the world in which we live in today. So that's what we'll do next. All right. So... In order to do this, like I think to really lay out this idea of the intent of marriage, and I'll let you kind of set the context, but in Matthew 19, Jesus gives us a huge clue yeah. on like how we're supposed to look at marriage. So do you want to kind of set us up in Matthew 19 and then take us where we need to go next so we can have a discussion? Yeah, totally. So um, one of the things we saw on both the divorce and oaths sections of the Sermon on the Mount, both of these comes up in like direct confrontation with the Pharisees later on in the book of Matthew. And and particularly in Matthew 19 is where the Pharisees come to Jesus and ask him where he stands on the whole divorce debate going on at the time. So I would say if you if you haven't read it recently, you're not familiar with it, I would pause the podcast and read Matthew 19 verses 3 through 12 right now. Pause it, come back. I just know that's what we're going to get into next. But in Matthew 19, they ask him, hey, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? Are you on the broader end of the, the debate or the stricter end? Do you, are you kind of open season divorce or only particular? And what Jesus does is he doesn't orient his, his answer in terms of the debate of the day. He says this idea. Yeah. Have you yeah, not? Amazing Jesus. <laughs> there you go, right? <laughs> Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they'll be one flesh. He says, okay, I get your whole debate going on today. Let me take you back to the beginning. Again, like Matthew does throughout this gospel, he's not only giving us a, an account of what Jesus said, he's showing us Jesus's method, the way he goes about doing it. Okay, when we encounter difficulties, hardship, even points of controversy and conflict, Let's go back to the beginning. What did God intend for this to be in the beginning? Yeah. Well, let me make this a little plug, and then I'm going to actually come to you, Spencer. <laughs> so I do think this is really why for like all three of us here, we believe so much in the biblical story, mm -hmm. right? Understanding the biblical story, because Jesus right here, he goes to the biblical story, mm -hmm. right? He he doesn't get caught up in the debate. He says, hey, nice debate you got going on here, <laughs> right? Is let me let me take you to the intent of God. You know, he takes him back to the beginning. So Spencer, maybe just real quickly, man, why don't you then lay out why is it so important that Jesus took them back to the beginning? And what what's the what is the framework do you think that Jesus was seeking to lay out there that's going to be helpful to our discussion? Yeah, I think um, going all the way back to Genesis 1, 26, which is the creation mandate. You know, so God in the beginning, basically he, God tells us why he created you know, humanity, why he created all things, really. But but in the beginning, he created them, male and female, he created them. And then he gives them the mandate, hey, be fruitful, multiply, you know, rule over the earth, subdue it. Um, 
okay. And you go, okay. But then, then you get that chapter two of Genesis mm-hmm. reality of going, oh, what God had wanted for humanity to be fruitful, multiply, rule over the earth, subdue it, you know, all these things. Man couldn't do that on his own, mm-hmm. so he creates a helper that's compatible or suitable or corresponding to Correspond, him yeah. to actually accomplish what God intended in the beginning. Because as humanity fulfills what God desired or intended to be fruitful, multiply, rule over the earth, subdue it, all these things. Um, as male and female. As, as male and female. Oh, we can actually put God on display. We can make him known to the world around us because we can somehow display aspects of God. His likeness. And so then when you get to Genesis 2 towards the end and God creates woman, this helper that is intended to help man accomplish this creation mandate, it's very good. Mm-hmm. And so the purpose of marriage in the beginning is not much different than the purpose of humanity, which is really not much different than the purpose of all of creation in the beginning, which is to testify to who God is, to somehow put some aspect of him on display, Mm -hmm. to make him known to the world around. And you go, that's what, that's what God wanted. Now, sin certainly screws that up. Mm It makes that a lot harder. But yeah, that's what God wanted in the beginning. And I think that's what Jesus is calling us back to in Matthew 19 when he says, Yeah, have you not read from the beginning? You know, this is what this is what's going on. Yeah, and that bear that image thing seems to be really bearing the image mm-hmm. seems very important because in some way, right, we are putting God on display different than like the stars and the yeah, sun and yeah. the moon and the rest of yep, everything exactly. else. Like, it's like, hey, you you all are very distinct here because you're going to bear my image. And so Jesus is saying in Matthew 19, by beckoning him back, there's a way in which marriage was intended that puts God on display. So you can't mess with that one. That, right. one's, that one's big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thing that's really cool is going, what it means to be human is to put God on display. When you drop marriage into it, marriage is really cool because it's a unique, we get to know which aspect of God we're putting on display. Yeah. Like just, just in your humanity, you get to put God's creativity or his generosity or all these things on display. But in, but all of a sudden you go, oh, the Bible's so clear though. Like in marriage, you get clear instruction on which part of God you get to put on display. Or in singleness, you get to put a certain aspect of God on display. But we get like very clear instruction here, which I think is important to understand this conversation. Like, oh, which part of God do we put on display in our singleness or in our marriages? Mm-hmm. So. I think that's huge. And this idea of a of of relational faithfulness, of covenant faithfulness to another. The idea of, of making promises and keeping promises, which is not only something that God calls us to do in marriage, but it is, to your point, it is God's own nature, his character, the way that he has revealed himself in his word is a God who is faithful, a God who both makes commitments and keeps those commitments. And so I think that, again, even just from the start, recognizing marriage as God's idea, recognizing that he has a specific purpose for it that's tied to the whole human endeavor, the whole mission of humanity to be these partners working in relationship with each other and with God. 
I mean, this does make it where you say that the sanctity of marriage is not just a, a, a political slogan. It's something you, you go from page one of the Bible and you go, this is important to the purpose why God made us in his image, which means we, we do want to at least check ourselves. Because I do think within a society like ours, especially with, I mean, you know, as pastors, oftentimes we're, we're talking with couples that are engaged and planning weddings and it's the huge shindig. And so often the conversation is, what do I want for my wedding day? What do I, like, and, and almost fed in that way. Everything about that, de- I, that day needs to be exactly the way you want it to be. That I can seep into our minds the sense that marriage is first and foremost about what I want to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if I'm not getting out of it what I wanted to get out of it, therefore, I should be able to pursue what I want in some other way, to start ourselves by saying, marriage between a man and a woman, first, we want to start with what is God What is God intended for? What was his purpose for it first? It's really good. And I think the way you guys laid it out is so important. If this puts him on display, and you're never supposed to mess with, with how God is displayed, right? Mm-hmm. He seems to be pretty serious about <laughs> that whole thing throughout the right. Bible. Yeah. Is it any wonder that Jesus then says what God has put together you have no right whatsoever to tear this thing apart, mm-hmm. right? Because it, again, it's not just about me and my happiness and whether or not this stinks. And I mean, all those things, that, again, mm-hmm. divorce is painful. It is awful. So I'm not trying to get away from the human aspect of it. But because we've made it so much about me, mm-hmm. we forget that there's an aspect where it defames our very our God by, yeah. by you going down that path and by you choosing to separate something that God never intended to separate you're telling people something about God that is highly inaccurate, yes. which again, God seems to take that pretty seriously throughout, very seriously. She mm-hmm. doesn't say pretty, pretty seriously, very seriously throughout the entire Bible. Mm-hmm. Look like you got a thought. Oh, no, just saying, I, just, I think it's helpful to, to go, okay, so rather than alluding to it, which parts of God are put on display through marriage? Yeah. I think that's important to understand because then it helps us to understand how we misrepresent parts of God. Mm-hmm when we actually are not representing, you have a healthy marriage or whatnot. Yeah. So what parts of, of like the Godhead do you think, I mean, again, just off the top of your head here, I know you guys have thought about this a bit. Yeah. But. I mean, there's some obvious ones that, you know, we'll, we'll, we need to talk about like Ephesians 5, Christ in the church, right? Gets put on display. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just God, but it's God's relationship to his purchased uh, people, his blood-bought mm-hmm. people. But in 1 Corinthians 11, we see the the relationship between the father and the son put on display through the husband and the wife, mm-hmm. which I think sometimes we poo-poo maybe certain aspects of it and forget that, wait, if, if we're putting God on display, there's no poo-pooing anything. Um, and I think like kind of pulling it, it back even more, the, the unity of God, yeah. the, the mm-hmm. oneness of God. like because yeah. And I think that's J- Jesus' yeah. main point here, what God's put... You realize if you tear that apart, you're conveying to people that God's not one. Yeah. Well, think about the Shema. The Lord your God is one. One. I yeah. mean, you've just messed with one of the, the the biggest creedal statements of the entire like Old Testament about the Old Covenant. And so on on one level, I think that's why he's talking about this idea of like, no, you are you're no longer two, but one yeah. from the standpoint of the way you that you display God to the world. That's I think the yeah. The chief one of all of them. So I think he's saying, don't don't mess with this thing. 
But I think then we need to talk about, like, to, to move our way back, like in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul makes this statement about the father and the son's relationship and that the father's the head of the son. And again, there's all kinds of arguments there, but I just think it has to do with in their relationship inside of the Godhead, there is an, an, an authority reality that the father has that doesn't diminish his the, his love for the other two members of the Trinity, doesn't make him better than the other two members of the Trinity, but there's a a role that he plays and when and then he connects it to how a husband within a relationship yeah. is supposed to play a role there's a there's a dance that who who talks about the dance in the trinity who's the, uh, uh, I mean, throughout church history yeah but before before keller it was uh hey oh, darn it anyway <laughs> him <laughs> oh it's uh, c.s lewis in, yeah, in mixed christianity Gosh, he talks about you know, yeah. nobody knows who c.s lewis is but I think it's just like you see this wonderful dance of the trinity that he talks about and then in a very cool way through marriage, we enter into that dance, yes. maybe as imperfect as we are, as the way of demonstrating not only authority, but in a cool way, submission. Mm -hmm. And the only way we'll ever know about authority and submission as God intended it is like through that unique dance that that takes place within, I think, what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 11. So it's definitely the oneness thing, I think, is the biggest, but that would be another kind of, I think, illustration of, man, it's... We get to show off God in a cool way by how we how we do that dance that He's been doing for eternity in His relationship and His in His not only His oneness but His triunity. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I don't think I don't think we get this in our marriages. In the I mean, you, I know you you had mentioned over the weekend, Christian, or even earlier that we need to talk through the cultural side of things. I just don't think. In the fifty years I've been around, I don't I don't hear this often that like marriage held in this regard, like yeah. that that marriages are sanctified because fundamentally the purpose of marriage is to help people get a better understanding of some aspect of who God is. Yeah. Or no, hey, I want to look at their marriage so I can better understand Jesus in the church. Yes. It's like, huh? <laughs> what? Well, that didn't happen in my premarital. No, 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 exactly. I'm going, like, I, I just in go, my this premarital, is... this idea of the fact that, like, I, I just wish they would have sat Lisa and I down from the very beginning and said, let me make sure you understand what you're signing up for. Mm -hmm. If you choose to get married, you are putting on display the unity of God. Do you understand how important it is that oneness of our God is to God's people throughout time? Yeah. Your unity in this matter, as imperfect as it is, mm -hmm. this work that God's seeking to do in you, you are, it's not just you're trying to create healthy relationships for kids to be raised so that we can create, you know, good kids that create good kids. Your primary reality is God. And not only that, but then look at me and say, hey, dude, let me help you understand, like, you are going to be granted, and it's not yours. It is not yours. Mm -hmm. You're going to be given authority. But now you're going to have to use that authority like the father would with the mm -hmm. son. Yeah. And oh, by the way, wife, you're going to be entrusted. Like, I wish we could have sat down and started from that premise because that's not where we started. We started with, hey, you know, we're going to sit down and uh, we're going to talk about your finances. We're going to talk about all these different things. And it's like, that misses the big thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, you know, those are, it's not that those aren't important, but it seems once you get those big ones figured out, all the rest of them kind of start to fall into line, and yet I never had that combo off the front end. 
Yeah, and maybe because I had people like you guys in my life when my wife and I were looking to get married. Like, I think sometimes these these grand ideas were on, on our minds. Yeah, let's work through like the dynamics of communication and how we handle finances and stuff like that because there is something beautiful and worthwhile and difficult, but worth it that we're striving for in marriage, you know? And I think that that, like, when you ask what aspect of God, it's like, I mean, Todd, you you hit on it. The dynamics of like loving authority that causes someone to flourish yeah. and willing submission that causes the other person to flourish. I think one of the first places I, I thought I, I, I heard this communicated so well was actually, you mentioned Tim Keller a second ago, but the, the book that he and his wife wrote on marriage. Uh, Kathy wrote the, the, the chapter on, on headship and submission. And the, the beautiful thing she says, she says, both of those are the role of Jesus. You know, Paul says in Ephesians 5 that, that Christ is the head of the church. So yes, he, he demonstrates that loving authority that causes us to flourish. But if you want to look for what actual like loving submission looks like, look at the way the son follows the father. Look at the way that Jesus throughout his ministry said, it is my food to do the will of my father. I am nothing that I say, I say of my own accord. I delight to do the work that my father's given me to do. That's And so the fact that like we get to put both of those aspects of Jesus on display in marriage. Okay, from the beginning, the, the command to be fruitful and multiply, the, the thing we see at the end of Revelation, that God desires people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. Where does all that fruitfulness and multiplicity of the human race come from? It's designed to come from marriage. All of the the, the mystery and delight of, of sex, God meant for the container of that, like the place that creates the safety, the vulnerability, and the fruitfulness. It's, it's, that's meant to come from marriage, too. It's the, the fueling of, right, uh, uh, the fueling of oneness. Yes, Right there, there's a beautiful way I think in which God put all of that together to truly accomplish multiple things. But man, He intended that relationship in marriage to to be fueled towards oneness because yeah. it displays Him. Yeah, so think, I'm going to create a contrast real quick, though, do. because you guys are doing a good job of of talking about how God's intent was to use marriage to actually make him known mm-hmm. or put him on display or whatnot and all the different ways that we do that, which amen. But the flip side of that is, so when we make marriage about anything other than that, we're missing it. Yes. So if we make marriage somehow about a wedding, mm-hmm. we're missing it. Mm-hmm. If we make it somehow about me getting off and feeding my libido, mm-hmm. I'm missing it. If I make it about my pleasure or my comfort or my security, my tax advantage, I'm simply getting married so I can have kids, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, whatever it is. If, if that's what we're making it about, then we're not much different than those people at Babel who are building a tower to make a name for themselves. They're just trying to get their own way and make it about them. And I think that's the contrast we have to come to when we're talking about marriage is fundamentally, is marriage going to be about God and making God known in the world? Or is it going to be about us getting something that we want? Yeah, we were Obviously, we were talking about the ideal, right? Yeah. No, no, for sure. <laughs> and so, I mean, you all, you guys know me and, and you know Lisa, and you know that, that, uh, that we, can, we can talk about the ideal all we want, but then you have to go work it out. Oh, yeah. And this is probably something else that I wish somebody would have told me early on, was on one end, you got to work it out. Mm-hmm. 
right? It's, hey, you all, it's just, it's going to be messy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You are two people that you think you're selfish, but no matter how think selfish you think you are, you're worse. Mm-hmm. Um, you are the people of, of Babel um, that want to make a name for yourself. I mean, just all those realities. But I also wish they would have said to me, but in a very cool way, you are going to be working it out. Mm-hmm. And that because of the Holy Spirit is in you. Now, again, I'm, I'm speaking about two people that know and love Jesus, but I, you know, even having, having discussions with other people, mm-hmm. if there's one spouse that does know Jesus, you are still working it out. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we think about what a privilege oh that gosh. is to work it out. Yeah, and I think that's the point. Like when, like, uh, like the idea that we are putting the character of God on display—that's not just for others to witness. Yeah, it was actually something Robin. I'm gonna, I'm gonna point her out because she's in the room with us taking notes. But she said something at the break about just how much marriage has driven her to want to understand the character of God. Yeah, and then the way that seeking to contemplate and know the character of God has had an impact upon her marriage. Like, like. We're not just the actors on stage portraying something to others. We get to experientially learn, yes. encounter the goodness of God in in the messiness of it. And I think that's the thing. Like, yes, we see marriage before sin comes into the, onto the scene, but the first sinful action that humans took was a husband and wife sinning together. Right? Like, you see how quickly things go off the track, and yet God's purpose for marriage hasn't changed. And not only that, the way that we see God demonstrate long-suffering, God demonstrate um, uh, the, the like not shying away from the way that sin disrupts and, and fractures relationships, but yet showing this tenacity to redeem and restore. Like, I think that, that oftentimes we, we want to we want to create a salvage operation. Okay, I see that big, beautiful ideal. I'll never get to the the top of that mountain peak. So, let me just settle for a like a, a few little elements that might work better for me. And I think that again, that's that sense. No, God, God hasn't changed His mission. He hasn't changed His mission for humanity. He hasn't changed His mission for marriage. There's a lot of obstacles and brokenness and distortion and twistedness for us to deal with. But the destination hasn't changed. Which is which is why what you just said. Which is why. We shouldn't be left to figure it out on our own. Yeah. Like, like we should care about each other's marriages mm-hmm. because it's about because God. it's about God, yes. not about us. I'm going yes. going. If I want my neighbors to understand Jesus better, and I know that my neighbors see you guys and your wives, well, if you're not doing a good job reflecting Jesus to the world, that actually hinders the mm-hmm. gospel going forward. Mm-hmm. That actually hinders the the mission, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I. We we should care about this conversation and the sanctity of marriage because it's mission critical. I think because it, you can't like it's fascinating, right? Titus two, where Paul's kind of interacting with what's going on inside the church, but he says to the older women, to the younger women, to teach the younger women how to love their husbands and love their kids. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, why? Well, because your husband can't teach you that. <laughs> Meaning. To have a good marriage, someone else has to enter into that as the means of being able to help you understand how your marriage displays God to the world rightly. And I was just reading a book by a guy, I had it out in front of me because I was trying to find a little section of it, but he was writing about this idea that even towards our children, they were kind of interacting and interplaying through, like, why have 
kids been rejecting maybe the church. And his premise is that the kids haven't been rejecting the church. They've been rejecting the display of moms and dads putting it on of what it is actually supposed to look like. They're not rejecting God. They're rejecting how husbands and wives are putting it wrongly on. That's yeah. what they're rejecting. And it, he just, he makes this huge argument for like, like if, if you guys both care about my kids following Jesus, you will care about my marriage. Yes. Because again, it's not just my neighbors. It's that my children will mm-hmm. see rightly what, what the church is supposed to look like, who Jesus and the Father are supposed to be, right? It's like that interplay that you just brought up, Spencer, I think we have developed this idea that you you stay in your lane and I'll stay in my lane on my private things like mm-hmm. my marriage, and then we'll all go to church together. And Jesus, <laughs> the apostles are like, uh-uh. Mm-hmm. No, actually, because you guys' marriages display God to the world, your marriages matter. Yes. And therefore, in these close relationships, to not speak into each other's marriage relationships, that's crazy talk. It's, and it means also we don't care how, the, how God is displayed to the world. Yeah. But this, this is hard. Hard, Because we, hard. Just, we just laid out this, like, what I would say is a beautiful idealism. But, man, it gets difficult. Yeah, but I would say it this way. Both of you guys in my life in different ways have have stepped in and you have spoken to me about different aspects of my marriage, my family. And I think maybe in some ways it is difficult. So I'm not trying to diminish the difficulty, but I think we have made it more difficult than it actually has to be because Mm -hmm. these should actually just be normal conversations. They should be normative, yeah. If it's just normative, right, where it's like, hey, Spencer, I care about you and Tina because... Not just because I love you, but I love God. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hey, I noticed X, Y, or Z. Are you guys okay? Is there anything going on? You know, just like actually mm-hmm. caring for people, loving one another. You know, the one another's actually are something to be practiced for our marriages, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so they're, they're, I, they're the, your spouse is the closest other to yeah. you. But and then, they, man, so it's gonna be. There's gonna be a particular intensity to sometimes way those situations. But if play we're out. putting God on display, and if that is the chief end of what we're supposed to be doing mm-hmm. in the world, this should be normative. But that means again, so much of why we're trying to reshift what the church is, is how we gather and be together. Mm-hmm. I think is so important because, man, Spencer, you nailed it. We have to be in each other's lives, and if we're not. We are never going to display God like we're intended to display him. That, yeah. Okay. We should probably. You know what? We just talked a lot about marriage and Robin gave us the 25 minutes. So if you're still with us, thank you. Yes. A lot of sleep. Um, I, I think we were able to do both the, <laughs> the ideal and the difficult yeah, here yeah. In, the, in this particular one. But I'll tell you what. So next week, what we will do is we will come back and we've kind of talked about the ideal and we've talked about the the longing for the ideal mm-hmm. But we also know that, that marriages get to the point where sometimes it hits that crossroads where we start throwing away this around this idea of divorce. Uh, and so next time we, we get together, we will, we will move from the ideal and the hopes of what it's intended to be, 
but sometimes where it starts to, to fall apart, you look like you have one thought. Yeah, maybe one thought as we wrap up kind of the ideal part of this. Like there is something so beautiful about what, what Paul communicates in Ephesians 5 when he comes to the end of it. And he quotes just like Jesus does in Matthew 19 from Genesis 2, this idea that a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh. And Paul says, that's a profound mystery. And I've yet to see someone who's plumbed the depths of what does this one flesh thing mean? But then Paul has this idea that that mystery, the one flesh union between a husband and wife, is actually finds its fulfillment. It's, it's the, the true reality it points to in the relationship between Jesus and his church. Yeah. That's a big, huge astronomical concept. But where it really hits the ground is this. If you're married or if you are desiring to be married— Build your life closely around a local church. If you're here a part of Cornerstone, just understand this is the lab in which we work out what it means to be apprentices of Jesus. This is something I regularly pound when I get to do premarital counseling with different couples is devote your life as husband and wife to Jesus and his church because that's the picture that your life is meant to represent. And when we try to live marriage separated from a local church, it's like trying to trying to draw a picture of something you've never seen before, or you, you saw however long ago. Like be as close to it. Be like that that artist in art class, as close up to that bowl of fruit or whatever it is that they're painting, because they want to be able to capture every detail. And what you're gonna see is just as marriage is messy, the local church is a messy place to be, but it is the place where we're seeking to live out the faithfulness, the love, the long suffering, the grace of God together. So do this in relationships. I think that's a great way to finish. Unless, Spencer, do you have anything else to add to that? I don't. You guys are brilliant. <laughs> spoke, <laughs> you went there. Spoke all the you truth that there, there was. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. I'm not sure how to end right now other than to say thanks for being with us and be on Sunday. Yes. And we do hope that not only did we get to talk about the amazingness of the truths of God's Word, but uh, you got to see how we as friends try to work these things out. So inside of a local church. I always forget to say that and I got to get done. So God bless y'all. We'll see you. Bye.